You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Hello, and welcome back, everyone, to the Teak Nation Podcast. It is Tuesday, which is a little bit of a change. Tuesday, March 16th here. As we record this, we are releasing on Wednesday, March 17th. Who knows when you're listening? I've stopped trying to guess. And headline, highlight, put it in big, bold letters. This is March. March Madness is upon us. Donnie, have you even looked at a bracket yet? I have. As you as you probably know, my son, my seven-year-old son, is uh, he loves brackets he actually printed out i think every single conference tournament bracket and filled them out as as those tournaments went along and let me tell you you haven't lived until you until you know what's going on in the southland conference you really you really haven't so i'm excited about the tournament as always even though my team indiana university basketball is not in the tournament for the fifth straight year has fired their head coach and is now on the on the prowl on the search for who is going to be the next leader and try to make Indiana University basketball relevant for the first time in mm, about 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. 20 sounds about right. National championship game, 2002. Well, it's uh, they, they made a couple sweet 16s in there, which is for, for this version of IU basketball, nothing to, to turn up your nose at. I mean, that's, that's a heck of an accomplishment when in two tournament games with the current edition of the, the Indiana University Hoosiers. Well, I mean, it is easier to just be on the bandwagon and be a Duke fan. I understand for you, life is much different. We've faced plenty of adversity this year, and uh, it's only going to make us stronger in the long run. So, yeah, this this tournament is going to be uh, much less stressful, I think, than previous tournaments. Which, look, I'm 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 okay with it. We had a a completely stress free March last March. Uh, at least basketball-wise, not life-wise. Life-wise was pretty rough, but uh, basketball-wise, no stress. And then don't have to worry about Duke getting beat by 15 seed in the first round this year. So uh, I feel, you know, I feel pretty good about uh, just filling out a bracket or six and sitting back and, and watching the action unfold. It's all taking place here in our, our lovely home state of Indiana. So maybe maybe try and get out to a game or two. I don't know. We'll see. It is going to be pretty cool to see Mackey Arena and um, Assembly Hall, as well as Hinkle Fieldhouse, to see those facilities used for the tournament. It's going to be great. Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be – the settings are going to be cool. It's – it's they're, they're allowing 25% capacity, I know, at least for the, the first weekend. Um, I also saw this morning that Indiana has just dropped the vaccine age to 45. So – Oh, yeah. Um, we're getting there. Um, well, and but, I even saw, since we're just doing Indiana health update, which yeah. is great for, for everyone out there, I did see the case count yesterday was 421, which is obviously extremely low for the numbers that we have had. We're just crushing it here in the heartland. Well, uh, just that's probably going to, to make it a higher probability that, um, that we get more and more fans as we get into the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight rounds, and then the Final Four. Well, yeah, and what I was going to say, the, the 25% capacity is low, yes, but when you look at 
especially like a, a Hinkle Fieldhouse, which I think seats nine or 10,000, um, Indiana Farmers Coliseum, which many of you out there listening are going to learn about for the first time in your lives and then probably forget immediately. Uh, it is on the Indiana State Fairgrounds campus and it is where the IUPUI Jaguars play their home basketball games but playing some games there those those are pretty small facilities so you're gonna have a yes 25 percent capacity is not a lot of people but the acoustics in there their old buildings I think it's gonna feel like March Madness I think it's you know you you fill up some of these 20 25,000 seat stadiums and it's electric obviously and, and you can't replicate that but when you when you take 3,000 people and put them in a cracker box, which is what some of these old arenas are. Um, even Mackey Arena is not huge, but it's a it's a big dome, and so the sound reverberates in there, and and it gets loud. I think you're what's the the product on TV is going to be exciting to watch. It's not going to be like some of these college basketball games we saw all season where it was just silence, you know, and then the band plays for 35 seconds and then you inbound and you hear the shoes squeak in and players dropping the F bombs. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching all these games take place at these arenas that we know. And some of, some of them that we love. Well, and I think the fans, you're going to see a lot of energy because the only college or university in the state of Indiana that's represented in the tournament this year is Purdue. And for folks who haven't tuned into the podcast as much, or we haven't talked basketball as much. Basketball is still religion in this state. Uh, obviously, the Colts are a huge deal, and Peyton Manning came and turned Indianapolis into a football town. But this state, you know, we're born and raised with a basketball in our hand, and you drive through the neighborhood, right, and everybody's got a basketball goal, and that, that's just part of the culture of, of the state. So you're going to see people who are fired up to watch some good basketball because it's been a lot of bad basketball uh, in this state this year from from all of the colleges outside of, of Purdue who's had a good year well and uh don't want to don't want to spoil our bracket picks here we'll get into it in a few minutes but uh if if Al has his way we're only gonna see one game of Purdue basketball in in March this year so we'll get there uh also on today's episode we are doing some some celebrating of women's history month we don't want that to get lost in the shuffle here brought in a a special guest Heather Green she is our chapter advisor at the Pi Theta chapter at the University of Texas San Antonio so brought in Heather to talk a little it's it's obviously unusual and and we talk about this in the interview that a chapter advisor, we know we have more female faculty advisors, but she is the chapter advisor of the, the Pi Theta chapter and um, really handles all the heavy lifting as far as the advisor duties go. And, and that's not super common. And so it was really fun to get to talk to her and, and get her perspective on teak fraternities, uh, the balance between fraternities and sororities. She had a, a lot of really good information to share. So I'm excited to, to share that with you all here in just a little bit. I'm also going to bring in our, our good buddy, Zach Scott, to see what he's up to and how things are going for him down in Florida. Uh, last we talked to him, he had just wrapped up in Miami. So looking forward to, to getting Zach in, but all right, so let's get into it. Uh, don't know how you want to go about this. If you want to hit us with some upset picks, maybe uh, maybe some sleepers. Uh, we don't have to go the the. We don't have to pick each of the sixty three games, but we can we can uh, share share some surprises perhaps. And then I think we do final fours, national championship game, and then crown your NCAA champion. Yeah, one upset that I 
I feel like a number of folks will have in their bracket is Winthrop, who's 23-1 and over Villanova. That's a 5-12 game. You always got to look at the 5-12s. If, you, if you're a data analytics person, that's where a lot of the upsets happen or in the, the 5-12 window. Apparently, you're, you're uh, from what you started to preview there, you're thinking about the old mean green. But I'll, I'll save that for a second and see if Villanova, uh, Villanova's down there starting point guard as well. So, yes, I have also gotten in on the Winthrop action. I think that's going to be a very popular pick, and uh, I'm with you. I think if you look at an, another 5-12 game, Oregon State just went on a, a great run out there in the Pac-12 playing a Tennessee team. Tennessee is one of those hot or cold teams. What well, I mean, most of these teams are, can get hot and cold, so – uh, I think that that will be a, a really good game. Uh, you always have to be, you always have to be cautious, even though they won a national championship. But Virginia, anytime they're playing in the first round, and where that could go, Virginia playing Ohio, I think that's another could be a, a, a good game. And they have to win the first one of the first four games. But obviously, Michigan State is always a team that you look out for in March. They play UCLA in the in one of the first four games. If they can get through that game. Then you play BYU. Obviously, BYU is a, a, a good team, but I think there's a good chance Michigan, just because they play muscle basketball, they could wear them down, grind it out, and find a way. That would be an 11-6 upset. Yeah, I uh, I agree with most of what you said there. I, I, I think Tennessee is going to beat Oregon State. Uh, the, the SEC was surprisingly strong this year across the board. Most of those, what you would consider to be traditional football schools, also fielded solid basketball programs um, and Kentucky was down, which usually Kentucky just stomps through the sec and uh, leaves a trail of bodies in its wake. But I think Tennessee will get out of the, out of that first round matchup with Oregon state. I have Georgetown beating Colorado in the first round that, so I have Winthrop and in, uh, in Villanova. And then I have Georgetown Colorado as, as I mentioned, as my two twelve five upsets, I do have the winner of that Michigan State LSU or LSU UCLA game beating BYU. Uh, typically, the way the brackets work is you don't have to pick the winner of the first four game. You just take whoever wins that game against the other team. And I think either of those teams BYU is is fine. They gave Gonzaga a good run in the uh, the what what conference they play in the WAC the no, West the, Coast Conference West Coast Conference. Um, gave him a good run in, uh, in the championship game there, but, uh, but I think that either of those two can get it done against BYU. Um, and then, yeah, as I previewed, I think Purdue's going to go down in the first round. I have made some pretty bad mistakes in my day, picking Purdue to make runs in the tournament and it stops, it stops here. Uh, they are a very young team. They're very inexperienced. I think they could be very, very good the next few years, but experience I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll get I'll give you my thoughts and my formula when I'm picking a a championship winner when I'm picking teams in the NCAA one do you have experience guard play because at the end of games when it comes down to it the guards are the ones handling the ball teams are going to ratchet up the full court pressure and you need to have players who can put the ball in their hands stay calm, stay cool, stay collected, hit free throws, not crack under pressure. So experienced guard play is key. Two, some sort of interior post presence. I know Purdue has this, but again, they're, they're a little inexperienced because 
the NCAA tournament, these games go in, in runs where team scores, you know, 10 to two run and they get all the momentum. When the, the best way to break a run is to get a high percentage look at the basket. The best way to do that is to toss it down low and get a look at the rim. So that's another key for me. Do you have post players who can put the ball in the basket? And then the third piece I always like is a, a, some sort of uh, top level wing defender because that's the other thing we know about NCAA tournament games is that's where guys like Jimmer and Steph Curry and uh, uh, Kemba Walker and Shabazz Napier, those guys go nuts. If you have a, a long-armed, quick wing defender that you can lock down the other team's best player with, your chances to win increase exponentially. So those are, those are my three keys in general, but really for me, for the most part, experience rules all in the NCAA tournament, which goes to my Purdue pick. Um, some other small upsets. I have Rutgers winning against Clemson in that 10-7 matchup. Eight nines aren't even upset, so I won't even go there. Um, and I think that's that's mostly it. I, I There's a lot of chalk. Uh, my West bracket was all chalk in the first round. I got to go back and make some adjustments there. I, I can't take all the, the lower seats to win, but um, yeah, a few, few little few nice little upsets in the first round. We'll see how it goes. Always fun to track those regardless. All right. Final four. I have Gonzaga. I have Texas, Baylor, and Illinois. So a lot of chalk. I understand a lot of chalk. You, you, this, this is the funny thing about this tournament, right? That's, that's my final Everybody, that's everybody gets romantic about the upsets and chaos. And yes, a lot of that happens in the first two days. But if you go back and historically look of who makes it to the Elite Eight in the Final Four year after year after year, it is typically a lot of chalk because those are those are very, very good basketball teams. So just like you talked about with guard play and great coaching, all that good stuff. So that is what I see versus complete chaos. What do you see? Well, I see the same thing. It's it's the same Final Four. and So that's, so that's why you have. That's why I grunted. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I feel really good about Illinois and I feel really good about Gonzaga. One thing I will say with Illinois that I don't love is that Georgia tech matchup in the second round, Georgia tech obviously has to get through the, uh, through, through Loyola, Chicago, shout out Epsilon Kappa chapter, uh, shout out Nick Kimball. I know he's a loyal listener of ours. So they do have to get through Loyola. Uh, but Georgia tech is, is tough. I watched a lot of ACC basketball this year. They have good guards and they have their, their big man was the ACC player of the year. Georgia tech could give Illinois a really good game in the second round. And I had pot committed to myself that I was going to have Georgia tech on a run, but I had also pot committed to myself that I was going to have Illinois in the title game. And so that it put me in a really tough spot because um, I think Illinois is, they have that experience. Uh, Io Dasunu at guard is, is really, really good. They have two really good big men. So they fit that formula that put me in a real tough spot. So keep an eye out for that game. I'm not going to pick Georgia tech to win that game, but uh, it could be, it could be wild ride. And if they do win, I will probably take credit for getting it right. Um, I don't love Baylor and I, I, I'm, I don't love the Texas pick for myself, but I just don't see another team coming out of that South region against, uh, against 
Baylor and uh, I don't see Michigan going all the way, especially with uh, what their best player or one of their best players livers hurt. Um, Michigan could lose in the second round to LSU possibly. I think they'll get a little further than that, but yeah, it's uh, it's, it's Gonzaga, uh, Texas, Baylor and Illinois for me currently reserve the right to change few other little, little sleepers in there. Um, I do have Winthrop in the sweet 16. As we mentioned that game, I think it's going to be a 12, 13 matchup in the second round Winthrop North Texas uh, currently have UConn in the sweet 16 taking down Alabama in the second round. And then I, once again, as it stands right now, have Oregon going all the way to the elite eight as a seven seed taken down Iowa in the second round. Um, and then probably either Kansas or USC in the sweet 16. So Oregon, um, I don't watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball, but keep an eye out for Oregon. They have uh, one of their, I think their starting point guard was, um, was hurt for most of the beginning of the year. And they lost some games because of that. And he's come back and they've been a much different team. Um, so I like Oregon to get to the elite eight. Who, uh, who, who do you have advancing to the, to the title game? Yeah, uh, real quick before that, a lot of people on the Alabama train. I saw you just said that you've got them losing the second round. Yeah, a lot of people like Alabama coming out of well, the. And 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 what's what's interesting about it is there's a small chance I could still go back and put Alabama in the Final Four, which would take UConn out of the Sweet 16. But, um, but I don't know. I mean, UConn's got uh, they they got a guy, and we know when UConn has a guy, they go far. So uh, I think Ryan Booknight is his name. Uh, and he's he's one of he's a Kemba Shabazz Napier Ryan Boatwright that's uh, not Ryan I don't know Boatwright there you go I have Gonzaga and Illinois in the final and somehow I feel like Illinois is going to find a way to win the national championship obviously if Gonzaga did they would be I believe the the second team ever. We talked about Indiana. Indiana, the only undefeated national champion. They would be the second team to go undefeated in the in the common era here. But uh, I feel like Illinois is going to find a way to get it done. We obviously watch a lot of Big Ten basketball, forced to here in the Midwest, and the Big Ten had the most uh, spots in the in the tournament with nine, and it, it's a just so many great teams in the Big Ten. So I would be shocked if the, if the Big Ten didn't have at least one representative in the, the final four and, and shocked if they didn't find a way to get one of one participant in the final game. James Booknight is the UConn player's name. I was wrong. That's a, that's a, great, uh, that's a great name in a novel. Booknight, James yeah. Booknight. It's, it's B-O-U-K-N-I-G-H-T. So it's even spelled cool. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, Okay, so I uh, I have I also have Gonzaga and Illinois in the final, and I was a little worried that this was just going to be super boring, um, but I do have Gonzaga pulling it off. I, I think Mark Few finally gets his title. Uh, I think I think the Zags are going to do it, and uh, you know it, it's uh, I think that'll be a really good game because Illinois is very very talented. To your point about the Big Ten. Uh, Still have not won an NCAA championship since 2000. It's been 21 years now for all the great coaches and great teams and great players that have rolled through the Big Ten in the last two decades still do not have a title. You'd have to think with two one seeds and two two seeds that this would theoretically be the year that that they could they could get one. But 
Um, I, I just, I think they're going to get stopped by the Gonzaga Bulldogs uh, home school of Greg Halloran for those who of, are unaware. A lot of great Kentucky teams in the last 20 years, a lot of great Duke teams in the last 20 years, a lot of great Carolina teams in the last 20 years. Villanova has definitely, has definitely made it challenging to win a national title. So there it is. There's the, there's the brackets. I feel good about it. Do you have any big St. Patrick's Day plans? It's one of those very interesting holidays. I have zero St. Patrick's Day plans. I will probably not even wear green. Well, I don't know if I'd advise you on that. It is the beginning of the official uh, NFL league season kicks off on, on March 17th. I believe at 4 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. If you think the NFL starting free agency the day after the brackets came out was an accident, uh I got some oceanfront property in uh, Nebraska to sell you because that's all anyone's talking about on ESPN right now is the NFL. It's March Madness. The NCAA bracket came out two days ago and nobody said a word about it. It's the most amazing thing. And Roger Goodell just continues to dominate America. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why he makes $40 million a year. That's right. Let me tell you this. If, if anyone has any connections in the NFL office, that's a great place to go learn marketing, a great place to go learn business 101, because they have found a way. You start thinking about every month, they find a way that the NFL is still relevant every single month of the year for one reason or another, yep. whether it's right now it's free agency, next month it's going to be the draft. Uh, in May, it'll be uh, rookie mini camps, if, as long as they can have those. Then in the summer, obviously, we'll get into training camp and season previews and all that, right? And then we're off into the year. It just, they, they are a machine and how they find relevance every month of the year. Something our, our groups could model right there. How can you be relevant every month of the year? Yeah, just dominate the market that you're in. Just crush everyone else and uh, no mercy on any other sports. I mean, we got a personal favorite of ours, the Masters coming up in three or four weeks. I'm sure the NFL is going to find a way to usurp that uh, that market as well. And there's your official Teak Nation podcast word of the week, usurp. But um, yeah, they, they get it done month after month. All right, rule three. Uh, this is uh, this is in response to both my recent pilgrimage to Baton Rouge and um, and the NCAA tournament. We have uh, always fun time to learn about colleges and universities you never knew existed during March because there are 68 teams and a lot of those are teams that you probably right. Remember when Florida Gulf Coast went on a run a few like five, six years ago or 10 years ago? I don't remember how long ago it was. It all just runs together. Um, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this campus is amazing. You can rent jet skis on campus. Who knew about FGCU before that? Um, so with that in mind, rule of three, Donnie, as a traveling man yourself, give me your three favorite college campuses that you have had the pleasure of visiting. I was thinking about this. There's there's so many great campuses, right? You got to front load you this. Pick three. Uh, right, I understand, but you have to front load if if you're listening and and I've been blessed enough to be on your campus. It's not a shot if I don't pick your campus. We're talking only three that you get to choose in all of these United States and even some groups in Canada. So let's start small school, smaller school. One yep. University of Tampa, which Zach would love. Very unique vibe down there. 
the interesting part about the University of Tampa is there are a, a number, a very large number of students who are actually from the Northeast who want to go to school in a much nicer climate than the Northeast all year round. So uh, it's a great campus, was lucky enough to be part of the expansion a number of years ago when, when we brought that group back. And so University of Tampa would definitely be one up there. Uh, to Southern California, hard to, hard to say any bad thing. That campus is just, it, it's an amazing place. Uh, obviously it's, we're, we have a great group there, one of the largest groups, the largest group in the fraternity, but the campus is, is really great, has amazing facilities. Uh, LA, we talked earlier about favorite cities and LA was one of my three favorite cities, just a great vibe out there. Um, you know, the third one, Al, I went all over the place and thinking about what, what would be number three? I probably going to go a little off the map for you and say uh, Minnesota. And okay. this, I got to preface this with this is Minnesota in the fall. Yep. So uh, you go to University of Minnesota in the fall. Beautiful campus. You know, usually the weather is really good. It's got a. It, it's just it's got a cool vibe there as well uh, on campus. Great people up there in Minnesota. Uh, we've had we've had a very strong group there at Theta for a, a number of years. Again, was lucky enough to be part of bringing that group back, doing an expansion with uh, former staffer Aaron Pattison. We had a lot of fun there uh, in bringing that group back, and have been happy to see successful men who have come from there over the last eight to ten years. I was wondering if IU was going to make your list. IU is a, a nice, tidy little campus. That uh, very, very underrated. I think not a lot of people realize that IU's campus really is beautiful. It's not on my list either, but. Well, um, I, I thought, I thought that, that's, that might've been where you were going. I was, you know, on this, on this pod, we get a, we get a lot of discussion about the Colts and the, the Pacers and the, you know, IU basketball. I was trying to get away from just the simple, you know, homer play. So gotcha. Notre Dame, IU, Franklin college, three fit. Well, let, me, let me tell you that that's another Notre Dame, beautiful campus. Yeah. So solid. All right. And, and, and to counter Donnie's point, if I don't pick your university in this, it is a direct shot at you and, and your campus and your college. So please take it personally. Um, I'll go in reverse order here. So number three, uh, University of Virginia. It is a uh, there's a lot of history in that campus. Just a really nice tie. Everything's brick and ju it's just beautiful. I was I was there in the fall and the leaves were changing. Really, really beautiful setting. Also, maybe this is a future rule of three. Charlottesville is a great college town just in general. Um, so this is not college towns. That can be a separate one, but um, great college town there in Charlottesville and Virginia's campus. Really, really nice. Um, second is USC. So uh, I share the same sentiment with you, Donnie. Pretty much every aspect of being down there is, is fantastic. My number one favorite campus I've been on is the University of Arizona. It is, uh, it's, it's, it's a really large campus. It's 35,000 people on campus. It feels, it feels smaller though. Everything's around a big, uh, big mall, a big quad. They have a big old main at the end of it. It reminds me a lot of our home campus at Franklin college, just like nine times the size. But, um, again, beautiful campus, uh, scenery is fantastic down in, down in Tucson. It's, uh, it's, pretty much gorgeous at all times. And I really, really enjoyed my time there at U of A Capital chapter. So uh, there are, uh, there's our rule of three and we will go ahead and flip it now to our good buddy, Zachary Scott.
Where's Zach? Where's Zach? Well, he uh, said he was taking his dog out and that he was going to come in right after that. So I guess still out with his dog. He can get his dog on a better routine. There he is. Right. Ready to start. Sorry, started. And there's, as always, our dear friend Zach Scott from the corner, the 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 Texas corner, and what I I don't know. Are you in a basement? I, I've always assumed that you're in a basement. Oh, oh, Al, how little you know of Florida. Um, no, ba- no basements in Florida. No basements in Florida. Between the sand and the water, um, not a uh, not a good idea. Um, but no, I'm in a, I'm in a media room. So it's an extra room at the back of the house. Um, typically set up for either entertainment or, um, some people turn them into theaters. Ours is just like a little hangout, a little bar, bar top here. Um, the college memorabilia in the corner, big TV, some couches, nice little hangout. I'll tell you what, you're not doing a lot for, for all the listeners out there that think, us Teak Nationals folks are just rolling in money. I mean, you got a media room. That's that's absurd. Talk about the pinnacle of wealth. I uh, I can't say that I have the media room. I would say my father, who is uh, has a, a pretty solid job, has has a media room. Now we're explaining the life of our staff. There you at go. Home, at home, living at home with mom and dad to make ends meet. I get you. Yeah. There's that's no uh, no swimming pool full of uh, money. I'm not screwed McDucking it here um, and jumping in. So. Hmm. Keep, keep working keep recruiting um well uh it is it is march so happy march madness to you zach uh have you looked at a bracket yet <laughs> no i i have uh, not followed college basketball at all to uh this this year really um i'll watch it when i'm at the gym uh, it's pretty much the time that i set aside for it but no, not really. Um, I actually got a text from uh, a former staffer, Tom Parkhurst, about um, some Florida teams because uh, he's asking who, who do the, the Tampa people cheer for? Because that would be a good bet, um, considering the sports year that Tampa's had. Oh, Florida. Very, very and clever, FSU Tom Parkhurst. Yeah, Florida and FSU would be those two schools. So I don't even know where they're at in the bracket. Well, FSU's a, a four seed and Florida's a seven seed. So now, now, now you're aware. Wow. Could stir some things up. All right. Uh, we do want to make sure that we, we touch on recruitment as that is much more an area of expertise than college basketball for you. So thinking about rounding out this year and, and getting into the summer, I know we talked a little bit about what we can do to, to prep plans for the summer and the fall, but the groups that you are working with, how are you helping them to set goals for the fall? What are the, there are groups that we know are not meeting their goals this spring due to COVID due to extenuating circumstances. So how is that affecting that goal setting process for the fall already from what you've seen? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with where we're learning from our mistakes, right? If we continue to repeat the same things, the, the whole definition of insanity piece, but I think it's taking diligent notes on what we, where we've kind of maybe dropped the ball, whether that's planning, what pieces we have been impacted, right? Is, is that in-person part the sole reason why we weren't successful in attaining our goals or was it the slowness to adapting? Is that where we 
more than likely um, experienced our, our lack of hitting our goals um, and getting that through to people. Right. And I think a, a big thing that I've worked with a number of groups on, we, we just did a, a joint call again with the, the slew group. I, I feel like I, I shot them out quite a bit. And then our rockers colony um, got them on a call together to kind of talk through some pieces because they were having some of the same mistakes. So if there are any groups out there that want that same type of thing, I'm more than happy to help, but working through where we can do a little bit more, the pieces where maybe we just got relying on the list that the school gave us and what we can do to be more proactive for the groups that are getting ready for fall recruitment, right? Joining clubs, signing up for moving, right? A lot of those things are likely to come back um, as we, as things normalize, whether it's this year or next year. Um, I mean, this coming year or the year after that, signing up for moving teams, signing up to BRAs, all these different things, these leadership opportunities that are out there, joining clubs and organizations, getting involved and getting your fingers as, as many pies as possible. That's uh, extremely important when it comes to spreading that footprint across your campus. What have you done in the last three to four months to set yourself up for four to five months from now? That's what I think the most important part of fall recruitment is, is there's you sure you have all summer to get ready, but you also have all of spring and really the winter sessions um, to to capitalize. Most of those things you have to sign up for back in like December, January. Um, what opportunities do we still have on our on our uh, on our plate? Maybe that's talking to your high school where you know that seven to fifteen students come come from that school to your campus year after year. What are you doing to reach back out to the people that you know? reach back out to your guidance counselors, whomever you still have connections with that can put you in touch with the incoming class. Zach, how important is, is having these discussions starting in May, June, July, right? In terms of, we've talked about recruitment training, right? We've talked about going and taking advantage of teak.org slash fired up, the free program that's there from our, our partners and our friends at fired up. But something that, that you and I and Al talk a lot about is, is having these, these mock opportunities to practice, right? We, talk, we give the analogy of football or basketball, whatever sport, that you wouldn't just walk on the field in the championship game having not practiced and run the plays all year. That's something that they're doing diligently, you know, creating that ritual of having it over and over and over again for our groups. Can you talk through that process of what it's like to practice recruitment and some, some tips or maybe some tricks and things that our guys should do as we go through the summer to stay engaged and stay prepared for whenever we get to the fall in what hopefully will be a much more traditional as we know it environment? Yeah, I think one really easy chance to, to get in some repetitions is this idea of ongoing recruitment, continuous open bidding, whatever you want to call it, second rush any of those pieces, right? If you were successful at hitting your goal or you drop the ball on your goal for the beginning of spring, right now is a great opportunity to continue building relationships. Sure, we have a number of campuses that are quarter schools and their recruitment just started like this week um, or next week, but there are certainly campuses that a month ago when they wrapped up recruitment or even a couple of weeks ago when they wrapped up recruitment didn't get to where they wanted, or maybe they did and they just barely got there. Now is the time where you tack on insurance runs. Now is the time where you, you get to that goal that you originally set because the more you go after those things and you set it, one, that's a healthy skill, but two, getting in as much repetition as possible right now and putting those skills into practice will make you that much better when you get to August, September. And again, even those summer conversations, if you're lucky to be able to recruit then. Um, the, and, and one thing I want to differentiate is 
there is no differentiation between in-person and virtual recruitment. You can still build relationships and have amazing conversation with guys over Zoom, over text, over phone calls, over a game of Call of Duty, whatever it may be, just as well as you can with a guy that you're meeting in person at your, your Teak events, grabbing coffee with. I mean, in some cases, you can still do those things like grabbing coffee, grabbing lunch. Um, but the idea is no matter what, you're building relationships. And I think that's the part that our guys need so much more insight and more repetition and, and just more experience with is building those relationships, asking those thought provoking questions, getting away from the standard, what sports did you play in high school? where did you go to high school? Where, where are you from? All those things that everybody on campus asks you when you get to school, get to those things of why did you choose to come to XYZ university? And what was it that made you decide to go down this path for your major? You get these more open-ended questions rather than these short one answer or, or um, three or five word responses, get something that is really passionate. Those require repetition. Well, and that's, that's a skill that, that everyone needs to get better at. What types of questions are you asking, right? Impactful questions that to your point aren't yes or no questions are more questions you have to reflect and questions where I have to talk more, which is then going to give you more ammunition to ask an even better question for your next question and your next question. And I, I think the other aspect that you talk about that really you know, sparks for me is too many groups treat recruitment like going to the gym in terms of, okay, I got to go put on my gym clothes and I got to go put on my tennis shoes, right? And I got to get all ready and I got to stretch and all that. If you're, if you are building relationships all the time, then recruitment actually isn't this thing or this activity that you have to get all geared up for. Yes, you want to have energy and, and get folks and energy all in the same, I get that, right? But if, to your point, if you're building relationships, all you're doing at the end of the recruitment period is just cashing in on those relationships, just turning and asking you know, folks that you've engaged with, these men and saying, hey, do you wanna be part of this organization? We, we've formed a great relationship. I think you'd fit in great in this family, in this team. And we wanna we want show you that through extending them that bid, however you go through that process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of those big pieces that um, we've often talked about is the active listening part of that, of if you're going to ask these thought provoking questions, you have to be willing to listen, take those mental notes and use that information. Like what you had mentioned of, they're probably giving you way more information in their answers that then you can use to ask another question, but you can also write of, Hey, tell me more about this piece that you just mentioned. I, it sounds familiar to me, but I'd love to know more from your perspective. All right, Zachary, we appreciate it. Good times. Thank you for the uh, wisdom and into March Madness and the Florida teams that we should all rally behind. And uh, as always, the wisdom on the recruitment front as well. Of course. I don't know how good the, the wisdom is on the March Madness piece. They might both get upset, but uh, it's, it's um, <laughs> literally anyone's guess at this point. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, happy St. Patrick's Day, or I guess post St. Patrick's Day, depending on when the podcast released. And uh, thank you again, as always. Exactly. All right. Want to move on now to our next guest. And we want to welcome in now our special guest here on this episode of the Teak Nation podcast, Heather Green. Heather, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. How's it going? Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. How's, uh, how's San Antonio? You guys recover from the uh, winter apocalypse that, that rolled through there a month ago? Yeah, it was, it was a tough week for sure. Um, I am originally from... Wisconsin. So oh. snow is not something that's new to me, but it's very new to the people 
uh, who live in San Antonio. And so it, it was, a, it was a rough week, but you know, three days later it was 70 degrees again. So uh, we're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, we talked about it a little bit on a few episodes and we have some alumni down there who lost power and heat, uh, just the, the whole work. So glad you, uh, glad you made it out. Glad you were well adapted and prepared, probably just out <laughs> braving the elements um, while everyone else was, was locked up inside. So that's good to hear. Um, Heather is our chapter advisor for the Pi Theta chapter at the University of Texas, San Antonio. She is the director of annual giving at UTSA. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. And then you're also a board member, correct, for Delta Phi Epsilon Sorority. I am. I'm on our international governing board and um, wearing a few other hats as well for DFIE. Um, I'm a chapter advisor and heading a task force right now for a chapter that we're working with. So, yeah. So you've just taken every last second of potential free time and loaded <laughs> it up with fraternity and sorority business. Yeah, usually the groups take turns um, in a, you know, in kind of in, um, in a weird way where one might be struggling, the other is doing great. Right now, uh, honestly, both are, you know, in need of support more than normal. And I think COVID has had yeah. a lot to do with that. So it's been an interesting time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been the case for about every fraternity and sorority chapter in America. So for you to, uh, gladly take on two of those is uh, is no small feat. So uh, I want to get started with a pretty broad question, and it's not super common that we have a female chapter advisor of, a, of one of our TEAK chapters. And, you know, with that, I'm just curious, how did you get involved with the Pi Theta chapter? And, and what was your path to get you into that position with TEAK? Sure. So the Pi Theta chapter members were in need of an advisor, um, they were working through some issues at that time, and the student activities director at UTSA um, had given them my name as well as a few other people. One of the members came and met with me, and I think because of like my role on campus and because of my work with my own sorority, I told them very upfront that I would not be just an advisor on paper and that I had high expectations. And I'll tell you honestly, I thought that was going to be the end of the conversation. And um, to my pleasant surprise, that member brought the Preakness at the time to meet with me a few days later. And the gentleman welcomed me into their fold at Pi Theta. And that was about eight years ago. And um, I'm still at it. Well, that's, that's great. Donnie, did you, did you have something to jump in? I was just curious in, in that role of chapter advisor, how would have been the, the challenges in that role would have been the things that have been fulfilling to you to do it for eight years. Obviously there has to be aspects of it that are still fulfilling to you today. So I'm just curious, you know, the highs and lows of, of being in that role and, and what that experience is like being part of the chapter meetings. Yeah. I, I have to say that it's obviously a very different experience than my involvement with my sorority. And that has been a learning opportunity for me, but it also like fills my cup in different ways. I absolutely adore the times when I get to see their brotherhood in action. They, the Pi Theta chapter has maybe some of the strongest brotherhood or even sisterhood that I've seen. Um, when I look at the two groups, like they just, they, they just have this deep affection for each other. They care about each other and their success. And 
I've been able to witness those moments and I really appreciate that. I'm also really proud of the philanthropic work that they do. One year, I think they raised the second highest amount among all the Teak chapters for St. Jude. And, you know, they do a Halloween event with the American Cancer Society here in town that I usually go and take pictures and take video during. And just seeing those moments really warms my heart because that to me is a lot of what Greek life is about. I've also, I think the early relationships that I made with, you know, as I started advising, I'm still in touch with all of those guys. I got invited to one of their weddings last year. You know, they still value me today and I value them. And um, they're just, they call me Mrs. Green, but some of the oldest members are just getting around to calling me Heather now. So it's, I think it's more than just like being an advisor, it's building relationships with, with folks. I would say, you know, some of the challenges, honestly, I know that I don't know what it's like to be a young man on a college campus. And, you know, so sometimes my ideas might not be their cup of tea, but we work through our relationship by talking about if you're a leader, you you can still make choices. You don't have to follow my advice all the time. You know, I think that's been that's been one of the, the great things about it is just continuing to have those conversations. You touched on it a little bit, the the crossover or the similarities, differences between your experience with your sorority and with Teak. Your sorority experience goes back a lot further than your fraternity experience. What about the time that you've spent with Teak, with the Pi Theta guys? Have you found aligns the most with the time that you have spent both in a sorority, volunteering for sorority, working for a sorority, all the experience that you have with with Delta Phi Epsilon? Mm -hmm. Well, I will tell you that um, long, like, you know, long before I joined DeFi, some of my friends in college were Teaks, and they were who inspired me to go Greek. And I was part of a local sorority that eventually chose to join Delta Phi Epsilon. So um, Teak was probably my first Greek experience or my first interaction with a fraternity or a sorority. That being said, I my sorority experience has kind of taught me that Greek life in general is a leadership laboratory for today's college students, and it gives them experiences that prepare them to lead in our communities and to build lifelong bonds because when we come together, we can do great things. Running a chapter is a lot like running a small business, and that's universal across Greek life. And I uh, believe that because you know, our members leave well prepared to enter the workforce and make a difference in their neighborhoods. You know, they've learned to balance priorities and negotiate work and, you know, work with others respectfully. I, you know, I think that that is the beauty of Greek life in general. And that's a lot of what I've been able to experience as part of a member of a sorority. And I think the same is true of Teak. You know, Teak is working to develop its members socially and morally and mentally, which is actually pretty, you know, similar to Delta Phi Epsilon. We focus on the five S's, which is self, social, sisterhood, service, and scholarship. And I, I believe our members are not just job ready at graduation, but, you know, they're life and leadership ready. They're ready to 
to jump out into the world in a way that maybe other students aren't. Delta Phi Epsilon's values are justice, sisterhood, and love, and Teak's values are love, charity, and esteem, and they, they, they aren't just buzzwords for us. That's what makes Greek life different, is we're built on these values, and again, that's universal whether you're talking about a men's or a women's organization, and these are pillars that you can build your life on. It's not just, you know, like I said, they're not just buzzwords that we talk about. If if you internalize the message, it helps prepare you for the future. Heather, I'm especially curious about your role in serving on the International Board of Directors. You know, there's great mythology in, in our organization, our fraternity of what our grain council, our International Board of Directors, what do they do and what are they focused on? I think one of the greatest myths that Alex and I see and members of our professional staff and our volunteers is a lot of our members think the you know, the, the grand hegemon of the fraternity is doing member education, just like the actual hegemon does in the chapter, right? Can you, can you talk a little bit about your role uh, serving on an international board of directors for your sorority? What are some of the discussions that you're having and how has that educated you or prepared you to be a better chapter advisor and, and even and a strong uh, person who works on, on a campus, on a university? Being a DeFi volunteer has, I've, I've gained so much experience that applies directly to my professional life. One of the things that, not to brag, um, but I am also the past president of our educational foundation board for Delta Phi Epsilon. And that, of course, has a direct link to my, my work in, in annual giving and philanthropy at UTSA. Um, I can tell you that, you know, I previously served on the international board um, many years ago, and we were, we were hands-on in a lot of programming and things of that nature. And then we strategically chose to evolve, um, to get away from, as a board, from day-to-day -day operations and leave that for the staff and to focus instead on big picture and visioning and leading the organization forward in a variety of, again, bigger picture, not so in the weeds ways. And, you know, so a lot of the discussions we have are around right now, we're talking a lot about how do we create a sense of belonging and what resources are needed to do that. You know, it's not just a conversation about dotting an I or crossing a T, but we're like, really, how do we dig in and solve the equation around creating a sense of belonging in all of our chapters? Our current international president, Roxanne Donovan, is a dynamo. And she, like, the very day she became president, you know, told everybody, we're going to start a kindness effort. And it's not really just, you know, about being nice to people. It is about like creating this sense of belonging. We're doing a lot in the area of social justice right now. And again, that's something that our board has talked about is how do we help our chapters become more inclusive and spaces where all types of people can feel welcome. And then, of course, we, you know, deal in some policy development as well. DeFi is leading the way in non-binary membership and transgender membership with our policy. And those are the types of discussions that we have. It's not, you know, really about programming or about, you know, each chapter. It's about keeping the overall organization healthy so that DeFi can exist for another 104 years. 
I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, we talk a lot with our chapters about if you're trying to overhaul your brand on campus, if you're trying to, to recruit better, if you're trying to grow your overall reach, that it starts in a lot of ways with the sororities on campus. The, the sororities really drive a lot of the opinions and how people feel about the fraternities. And so I want to branch off on that as well, talking about female administrators and advisors uh, at universities on campus, but how can our chapters do better when it comes to building those bridges and building those relationships with both the female students and the sororities and the female administrators to ensure that TEC has that positive brand, that positive image, and that when people think of, of Tall Cap Epsilon on whatever campus they're on, it's a positive thought, a positive idea. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. And that's kind of, you know, the genesis of my relationship as an advisor. Um, one of the challenges they were having at the time, the chapter was they did not have a very positive relationship when it came to other, you know, like particularly women's organizations on campus, kind of. You know, there were rumors about Teak and things like that. And so we set out, you know, very early on to set up expectations and standards in the chapter. I think what's important about, you know, why we should build bridges between the organizations is that when we work together, we can do even more. And I see that in Pi Theta a lot. They work with the women's organizations on campus to support each other's philanthropies. And because of that, they're able to do more. You know, they're able to raise more money. Um, and I think that working together strengthens the entire system, you know, brings in um, diversity of thought, which is helpful for performance and improves performance. And I, I wanna say, I think this needs to extend too, to engagement beyond the National Panhellenic Conference sororities, but, you know, NPHC groups and multicultural Greek groups, like partnering with these organizations is, is a great way to, you know, build your brand, get to meet people uh, that can help further your goals and, you know, to get to do more together. I think it's also important to kind of say, and this might be surprising to people, but, you know, men, men can play a role in furthering women's equality and advancing women's issues. And it's important that men get involved in those issues. Better men for a better world can mean being a feminist too. And I think that's okay, that it's important that men, you know, kind of embrace the possibilities of what they can contribute to advancing women's issues on campus. You know, for collegiate members, I think, I think you can think every, for collegiate members, I want you to think about how every mixer and every philanthropy event is an opportunity to lift women up and to stop perpetuating stereotypes, you know, to stop using words, you know, those words, I'm not going to say them, but you know what words I'm talking about to describe any woman, you know, and to create expectations that your guests, like all of your guests will be treated with respect. And I think you'll find that your empathy will set you apart in, in the fraternity world. I think if you want to take an even more active role that you can, you can co-create programs with women's organizations. I've often thought like, what if we organized a self-defense workshop for women and, and what message would that send? You know, Teak, Teak wants you to be safe. And I think that that's, that would be an awesome message to send. 
I think also like there's usually on many campuses, there's a women's center or an LGBTQ center or women's studies program. And that might be a place where you can, you know, align with and talk about ways that you can eliminate bias from your programming or creating more welcoming spaces for women and, and really get into the work. I, I hope it's okay that I share this, <laughs> this story. There's a word in it. Um, and if it's not, you guys cannot, you know, you can choose not to share it. But one of the things that I did um, with Pi, Pi Theta is kind of a great example of this. Usually during the first meeting of the year, I stop in and kind of go over my expectations and I share with them, you know, recent statistics on violence against women and trying to encourage them to, to be good actors in this realm. And at that time, my cousin had started a group, a movement, I'm not quite sure what to call it, but there was kind of a rash of incidents that had happened where maybe celebrity men or other men had been sending, sending inappropriate pictures via text to you know women. And so she wanted to start this, this movement and she called it, nobody wants to see your and I shared this with the Pi Theta chapter and she had made some pins and some t-shirts and some stickers and I brought them to the meeting and all the guys like grabbed them up and they were like, where can we get more? Where can we get t-shirts? And I, I, was, I was genuinely surprised to see, you know, their interest in this topic and um, so I got them some more stuff and, um, and then a few weeks later I was at the chapter meeting and they had put the initials of nobody wants to see your D in the agenda up on the screen. And so they were talking about it on a weekly basis, like as a reminder, like, hey guys, don't be that dude. And I just appreciated that so much. And it was never, they were holding each other accountable um, based on a conversation that we had. And that, that was, that was a, a, that was a nice surprise. I will say that. How long, Heather, did it take from when you started to set those expectations and standards until you started to see a cultural change in the group? It was, it was pretty fast. It was, it was almost instantaneous. And I think that is a big tribute to the, the young leaders who were in positions at that time as well, that um, that the Preakness and there were two Epi Preakni at the time. And they, they knew that if they didn't write the ship and change the culture, that the chapter wasn't going to continue to exist anymore. And so a lot of my work was supporting them and encouraging them and just being a sounding board for them. They already knew the right things to do. They just they just needed somebody to, to be their cheerleader. And I was, I was happy to do that. Well, I think it's a strong message because we have collegiate members out there who maybe they're, they're dying to make a change in their group that are listening to this. Or we have chapter advisors who they, they have just started working with a group or maybe they've been working with a group for a number of years and they feel like they need to make that change. And what I love about your message is somebody just has to stand up and say, here's the expectation standard that we're going to hold to. And many times, right, folks are, the thing that I, we talk about internally in our building is people are dying to be led. And a lot of times mm -hmm. folks are so nervous to get out there and lead and push because they're afraid of the pushback or it's going gonna, it's gonna to fracture relationships that I have with the people that I'm now leading when 
folks want to be led. And so I, I love your message there. And I hope that it inspires some of the, the folks out there to take action because it really is that first step of creating those expectations and standards, which then create rituals of what people mm -hmm. do day in and day out that are reflections and go back again to those standards and expectations. So I really appreciate you sharing that message. And what I find more times than not is, you know, when they do stand up and they say, yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, and I'll be honest, there was a few, there were a few times that the Preakness, like there were things they probably should have voted on. And he was like, no, we're not doing that. Right. Like he, 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 he took the authoritative step to say, I like, I know what's right and we're not, we're not going there kind of thing. And I think, yeah, some people are going to push back on it, but the people ultimately know, they know what's right and they'll come around to it. And if they don't, then I'm sorry, maybe Greek life is not a place where you, you know, you need to be. And, th and that's maybe very harsh to say that, but, no, I, um, people need, you know, people when, need to hear that people need yeah. to hear that because it's a Greek life. Isn't for everybody. And I think that there's this piece out there, you know, we talked, you, you talked eloquently about being inclusive. There are some people that this isn't a good fit for it. It's not, it's not adversarial. It's just, it's not a good fit. And so they should move into other areas, you know, and join other student organizations if they want, but this just isn't a good fit given the values and the expectations and standards. And that's absolutely it. Like we do have values and that is what makes us different than another club or another organization on campus. Not to say that they don't have missions or goals or other things like that, but every Greek organization has values that they, they believe in and that's what makes us special. And so we need, like, if there is a ritual that we all have in common, that's it, you know, that we, we live up to our values. My last question, Heather, is is around Women's History Month, and, and it is Women's History Month in March. It was International Women's Day uh, a week ago, last Monday. It's not something I think that that many men, especially, sit down and focus on or think about until it right until it arises, until it comes up, and you see it on some social media, and you see it on the news and in various various forms. How can we? How can we all? But specifically as fraternity men be more a aware of, of women's history and some of the different female leaders and, and thought leaders throughout history and, and B, how can we better celebrate it and how can we be better allies to the women's rights movements? So International Women's Day started really around getting women the right to vote over a century ago and it evolved into a, into a month. And even though there has been a ton of progress for women and other marginalized groups in those decades, there's still a lot of work to do. And as I mentioned earlier, men, um, cisgendered men in particular, have important roles to play in those efforts. And they may not always feel like they belong in that space, but I believe that you know we do need more men to get involved and to take on these issues in order to be able to make even more progress. Women still have to fight today for equal pay and medical care and being taken seriously in certain fields and, and so much more. And, you know, women have been fighting for change for a long time. But if, again, if men took up these issues too, I think the path would certainly be easier and more equitable and there wouldn't be barriers. People putting up barriers to 
to equal rights for women and equality are unfortunately men in many cases. So one of the ways I like to tell people the best way to be an ally to any marginalized group is to just use your voice and to say something when you see something. And that can mean like calling in your fellow frauders. And when I say calling in, it's different than calling out. Calling out kind of is what we're dealing with right now in cancel cancel culture. Calling in, I think, invites people to the conversation rather than putting them on the defensive right away. So I'll say calling in your fellow frauders and and your friends, and, and this includes women, you know, when they slip up, calling them in and saying, hey, that's maybe we shouldn't use that language or you know, that's, that's not what I believe. That's how we begin to change the culture. And that's how we begin to, you know, change the, the, the culture of acceptance around sexism and misogyny and, you know, all those other isms. And I think, you know, again, this, this extends beyond women. There's other marginalized groups as well. And when you use your voice and you stand with us, you're going to make the world better for not just your, your, your fellow college students or your your coworkers, you're making it easier for your mom. You're making it easier for your daughters and their friends to have equal access to opportunity. So I just encourage everybody to, to use your voice and to think about ways that you can partner with women and women's organizations to move things forward. Well, it's a great message and you're talking to two girl dads. So you got to <laughs> You got folks who are on your side hearing that message and thinking about making the world a better place for our daughters as they head into it. I would be remiss, Heather, if I didn't try to tap into your professional expertise. You know, we have, I would say, every every group in Teak. They're always having that conversation about how do we engage our alumni, right? How do we get them, whether it's to come to events, which which I'm sure, obviously, at the university level, you want them to come back for homecoming, come back for other events, but also how do we get them to consider contributing to the fraternity? Uh, obviously, we have a, an educational foundation, just like just like you shared, you were the former president of. And so, I'm just curious, what are you know, what's a tip or two you might give, or advice you give to the chapter at Pi Theta about how to engage your alumni and how to get them in a position where they might might consider making financial contributions to support the mission of the fraternity and, and local chapter? Well, I think on a local level, it's really important that the only time you're, the alumni hear from you is when you're asking, right? So you have to like think about other ways to engage throughout the year. And we're really fortunate at Pi Theta that there's a good group of guys that have experienced Teak Week where they're raising money for St. Jude. And so now we're starting to see the fruits of that labor. Those are the guys that are coming back. And Pi Theta has Pi Theta alumni and parents had a golf tournament this Saturday to help support Tiki. So it's sometimes it can take a little while to build, right? So I think the message is don't be the only time you're reaching out is when you're asking for money. But, you know, if you have a really good cause like St. Jude and you have a great message and you make it easy for people to donate, then those are the really the, the pillars of getting alumni to support your philanthropy. And it's a great story for Teak as well. You know, in terms of the educational foundation, I think there, again, it's about telling the story. Like who does, who does this impact and what do they go on to do? And how is this helping build the leadership laboratory that is Teak? We do like right now we're doing a whole month. We call it Dimes for DeFi in, you know, for Delta Phi Epsilon. And it's a month long 
fundraising push. I think Teak has done something similar in the past. It doesn't matter how long it is. It's the stories and the impact and people reaching out. One of the tips I gave to the guys, I think last year, maybe the year before, is they all have phone numbers from alumni who have graduated, like start texting them, you know, and saying, hey, this is really important to me. And literally, that was what I told them. I was at a chapter meeting and I said, just like open up your phone and start texting all of the people in it and saying, this is important to me. Will you donate $20? And because it's important to you, they will respond. And so that's what they did. And it worked out well for them. We can't thank you enough, Heather, for your time, for your wisdom, your insight. We covered a lot of ground, but you have a lot of areas of expertise. <laughs> so uh, it, it worked out well for us. Um, any closing thoughts for, for listeners out there? Sure. So one of the other things that I'll just say about, you know, advisors and women advisors on the local level is we just, we just need to make it clear that non-members are welcome to be advisors. And I think, you know, sometimes there are structures in place or there are misconceptions out there that you, you have to be a man or a member of TEAK to be an advisor. And the reality is like, you can be successful in this role without, you know, without being a member. Now, certainly there are things I don't know, and that's okay. But funny story, I was at a tailgate early on in my tenure and met an alum and, and I'm not trying to, you know, put anybody down or anything like that, but I introduced myself as the advisor and he was like, but you're a woman. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and he's like, you're an advisor and you're a woman. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And I'm really good at it. And I didn't let that stop me. Um, and so um, I, I think like just in general, if this is, there's a lot of expertise to be had out there and it doesn't necessarily, I mean, it's great if it comes from Teak. I think that that's, that's absolutely wonderful, but take advantage of the folks on campus and, and other people that, that really want to help you. Well said, well said. And, and I, I can't agree more. I think the, that perspective is what a lot of, uh, a lot of, chapters are missing is, is that outside perspective, somebody who sees things a little differently than they do and, and getting out of your echo chamber and branching out and finding that perspective to bring in is crucial to, to success. So uh, very fortunate to have you working with our guys down at, at UTSA, fortunate to have you as part of the Teak family and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Right, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, thank you, thank you Heather. And we, we just want to thank Heather one final time for coming on with us. Any, uh, any snap takeaways from that conversation, Donnie? The overall theme is as we look for our chapter advisors, and we have phenomenal chapter advisors out there, we want to, we want to look at who are those folks who are going to be invested in, in challenging us as TEKS, people who are going to give us different perspectives. I think that's you know, having a, a female advisor for those those men there at Pi Theta, I think that that's a, a great experience, a great opportunity. I recollect on uh, my college experience, and we actually had a faculty advisor for a couple of years. We actually had two female faculty advisors who weren't they, like one came to one meeting and then the other one came to the next meeting and they, they passed it back and forth. And it was you know, they asked great questions and they, they challenged us on, well, why, do, why would you want to do that? Have you thought about it this way? And, you know, many times when you're 
an 18 to 22 year old age, you know, that that's, that's a great thing to be challenged and, and obviously to grow your, your perspective. So that's, that's the big theme that I got out of it. And, and if you're saying, well, I'm a male advisor. Yeah. That, there's a great opportunity there as well to, to push perspectives, to challenge our members. I talk about internally and we, we, we discuss as a leadership team that we want to coach people hard and, and too many times that's viewed as a negative that you're being, you know, you're being mean to people. No, it's how do you get the most out of everyone's potential? And for all of us, if you look back and think about the people who've really impacted your life, they're most likely people who have asked for more. They're most likely people who have seen more in you than you, than you thought possible or, or asked you to do things and challenge you in ways that probably weren't comfortable and, and made you made you grow. And that's, that's what we want our, our volunteers to do. And we have so many phenomenal people out there that I'm excited going into the next fiscal year of how do we get those folks some more training, some more energy, some more direction, and how do we make sure that they get a bigger platform that our members know about them and know how to take advantage of the phenomenal experience that they have. Yeah, I think it's all, it's all in that perspective piece. And, you know, the, if we just exist and our chapter advisor is a guy who graduated three or four years ago from our chapter, and we don't really have a faculty advisor and, you know, our board's just a bunch of older alumni, you're not going to get any of that outside wisdom. It's all just going to be, here's how we do it. Here's how we've always done it. And this is how we're going to continue to do it. And if you have a good process in place, that could be valuable. But if you don't, it could be really dangerous. So it doesn't have to be a female. It could be uh, someone who was in another fraternity in college, someone who was in a different organization that was more diverse than, than Teague. It could be someone from a different country. It could be a professor from, from Mexico or from South America or from Africa or from Europe. But bringing somebody in who you, you have to explain things to, as we talked about, why do you do things the way you do them? Why do you go about this this way versus this way? That's going to help us evaluate our own practices and, and get better in our, our operations and our recruitment and how we do philanthropy and how we engage different groups on campus. So I think that's crucial. And I think every chapter would be served well by having an outside voice like that and, and having somebody who can check them on things that may just seem to come second nature. So um, again, shout out to the guys at UTSA for, uh, for bringing Heather in and for keeping her in for, for eight or nine years now and continuing to utilize her advice. And uh, I hope that more chapters take it upon themselves, whether you're uh, a member listening to this or, or an alumnus to bring in some of those outside voices whenever you get the opportunity. That'll do it for this episode for us. Covered a lot of ground, but that's just what we do here on the Teak Nation podcast. So uh, I think it. Uh, I think it worked out. Uh, remember, how dare you forget to follow us, subscribe, hammer that like button, smash it, pound it, whatever it is that you need to do with that like button to make sure that this uh, this podcast shows up in your daily listening queue. But uh, we do appreciate the listeners. Please engage on social media. Give us a like on Twitter, uh, on Facebook share the episode, respond, ask questions, all that good stuff. We are always happy to engage. And I'm curious to, to hear how the brackets go for all of our loyal listeners out there. So uh, feel free to, to let us know what you're thinking about March Madness as well. Until next time, I'm Alex Swinson. He's Donnie Aldrich. And, uh, and we'll catch you again in a week. Goodbye. Goodbye.